Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the extra show where we cut down the big issues of the week. I'm Connor Pope and I'm joined today by Matthew Doyle. First of all, Matthew, we should start on the amendments going forward this week. We have an idea of what is going to be put onto the big Brexit vote on Tuesday. First of all, Yvette Cooper's amendment seems to be gathering a lot of excitement. What is it and why is it so important? The Cooper amendment is getting support across the House and therefore gaining uh, interest in the media and outside. And for good reason, I think it does one of the things that has been the challenges for MPs, and that is how can they put into legislation what we know is their view, and that is the desire to avoid a no-deal Brexit. And the Cooper Amendment means that if there isn't a clear plan to avoid a no-deal Brexit coming about, then there is the potential to delay the triggering of Article 50. And it looks like the point of consensus is to reduce that delay from the initial nine months that Yvette proposed down to three months, which has certain advantages, not least of which it means that you still would be clear of some of the complicating factors like the need to have MEPs after Mm. the European elections. There will be people who are concerned that this is just another can-kicking exercise and that although we can say this is important to avoid no deal, it does also mean that we are just delaying the same set of inevitable decisions that Parliament will have to take a view on in the end. You said there that there's this kind of cross-party consensus building behind this amendment. I think Labour's front bench is certainly going to support it. Is that right? And um, and so there's actually quite a reasonably good chance that it will pass. Yeah, and the mood music from the Labour front bench is that they will support it, even though they haven't formally announced the whipping arrangements yet. The interesting thing about this amendment is that although most of the debate and the amendments are indicative uh, in terms of the motion that there is in Parliament, this is the one amendment that would cause something concrete to happen and that is that Yvette's bill would have to come back to the House of Commons on February the 5th for them to debate this extension to Article 50. So it may sound like a bit of a rigmarole but essentially it's an interesting amendment because it is the one that leads to an actual concrete outcome. Yeah and February 5th is the Tuesday after the Tuesday coming so big kind of things presumably will be happening on uh, 
both Tuesdays uh, after this. Um, the Hillary Benn Amendment is another one that has been talked about a lot. What roughly is going on there? Yeah, the interesting thing about uh, Hillary Benn's amendment and the position that Hillary himself has taken more generally is that although he's remained open to the thought of there being another referendum, he's not someone who has explicitly said that he supports there being another referendum. And what his amendment seeks to do is uh, one of the ideas that's been bouncing around, which is to get Parliament to have a series of indicative votes, even though they wouldn't be binding on the government, it would at least help to answer the question that Theresa May posed after her defeat, which was essentially, fine, you don't like my plan, what do you want to do instead? And so therefore, in the Ben Amendments, it does cover the different options of, for example, whether we do have another referendum, whether we leave, whether we do want to go for a Canada or a Norway-style option. And finally, the Morrison Amendment from the other side of the House, um, which caused a bit of furore last time around because it was rejected by the Speaker, John Burko, but he's put, put it forward again uh, this time. Uh, and do you expect that to be accepted on this occasion, given that it's already been rejected? I think it's difficult for the Speaker to reject it again, um, partly because it is just such a key part of the debate. We know that the backstop is the reason, although personally I believe for a lot of them the excuse as to why Tories aren't supporting the Theresa May deal that came back so far. Now, uh, there have been slight amendments to the wording of the um, the slight amendments to the wording of the amendment so that it uh, uh, can have another go. But this is also a key part of the government trying to see whether there's a way forward in that if you amend the backstop, will this actually make the difference? As I say, my hunch is that for a lot of these people in the ERG, even if you were to take the backstop out, they'd just find another excuse. Yeah. Uh, and the backstop all along has just been a useful thing for them to latch onto. So even if the Morrison Amendment goes through, it faces two problems. One, I don't think it's a guarantee of Theresa May's deal. And two, there's absolutely no guarantee that the European Union would regard a time limit to the backstop as being acceptable anyway. On the backstop, this is a clean segue here, um, <laughs> what I think is the biggest story of this week, um, not the fact that you've just been re-elected to the Labour Party Irish Society, but I believe that did happen this week, didn't it? It did, it? it did. And the Irish Society is basically a socialist society for people in the Labour Party who are either Irish, of the Irish diaspora, or interested in Irish politics. Exactly so. Um, so you are quite well placed to explain what has happened with um, the Socialist, Democratic and Labour Party uh, in Northern Ireland, and Fiona Foyle, the uh, Republican Republic of Irish Party, um, who have come up with a partnership this week. What what does this mean? Well, that's a very good question. I think the announcement that we've seen so far was higher on rhetoric than it was on substance. But it's clear that there are going to be significant working relations between Fianna Foyle and the SDLP, who, as you say, are the Labour Party's sister party in Northern Ireland, assuming that the membership of the SDLP approve it in a ballot that is going to be happening to agree it. But certainly the leader, Colm Eastwood, seems very confident that he is going to get this through, although there has been significant opposition from the youth section of the SDLP and others who really just see this going against the Labour tradition of the SDLP, which uh, was formed by that great Labour figure, John Hume, out of the civil rights movement. And to be partnering with Fina Foyle in this uh, situation seems a very odd arrangement for people. I think the concern 
will be what it means in terms of issues of standing candidates and the electoral partnership that they have, and if it means the SDLP has to leave the Party of European Socialists, then then that's clearly uh, going to cause questions for for us in the Labour Party in terms of not having that sister party relationship that we've enjoyed so far, and I think has been part of a good sort of triangle of relations, if you like, between the Irish Labour Party, the SDLP and the Labour Party here. Because the SDLP in recent years has been not had the best electoral success, has been completely marginalised on the nationalist side of things by Sinn Féin, who obviously don't take their seats in the British Parliament. Um, And so it was clear that they needed to do something quite drastic in order to start rebuilding some of that confidence from their previous um, voter base. But um, as you say, this feels like there's not going to be any easy solution for how the British Labour Party responds to this. Or indeed the Irish Labour Party, who I can't imagine would be thrilled by the idea of um, the British Labour Party kind of starting to stand candidates. Well, quite. And I think it's difficult to see what it adds to the SDLP's electoral coalition. And the SDLP, I think, has done a good job in recent years of evolving some of its positions, for example, being coming out in favour of equal marriage and moving to a conscience position when it comes to the question of abortion. And as we know, in Northern Ireland, these are still two huge issues where Northern Ireland lags behind both Britain and Ireland when it comes to uh, questions of equal marriage and a woman's right to choose when it comes to healthcare. So for them then to go in with Fianna Foyle seems to be a step backwards in in that regard in terms of modernising their image and trying to work out how they do appeal to a lot of those voters that they have lost to Sinn Féin over the years. And it is a, another one of the tragedies of the Brexit debate that because because the SDLP was wiped out by Sinn Féin, they lost their three seats in the 2017 uh, election. It meant that the only voice in Parliament is the DUP when Northern Ireland actually voted to remain in the referendum. So not having that alternative voice, not having the SDLP in Westminster, I think is part of what has actually really skewed the debate on issues like the Irish uh, backstop. And quickly, just to wrap up, I kind of wanted to touch on goings on in America. I know you follow American politics very closely, um, as I know a lot of our listeners do as well. Quite a few people have started putting their name forward for the Democratic nomination for president in 2020. I thought particularly Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, I believe his name is pronounced. Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Yeah, yeah. So I've been really struggling with that all week. I thought (laughs) thought I'd really nail it, but uh, they seem like the most interesting of the candidate field so far. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a really interesting field of those that have announced so far. What's what's noticeable is that you've got four women who've gone for the nomination already. You've got a Hispanic candidate with uh, one of the Castro brothers choosing to run from Texas, who's got the credibility of having been in the uh, Obama administration. And as you say, you've got Pete Buttigieg, who's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which may not sound like an uh, immediate platform to run for the presidency. But as he pointed out himself, he's got more executive experience than... uh, (laughs) than Donald Trump had, and he's got more military experience as well than both the president and the vice president put together. So, And he's uh, an, uh, openly gay, so therefore adds to the 
diversity of the field that way as well. I think it raises an interesting generational question. And certainly if I was Bernie Sanders or uh, Joe Biden watching this so far, you might be wondering whether you really want to get into this race. And of course, their advisors will be weighing up two things. Either they can look like the one grown up in the room while there's all the other Mm. uh, younger candidates fighting amongst themselves, or they really are going to look like representatives of yesterday at a time when the party wants that generational shift. Do you think that that's the way it's going then? Or do you think the, the you know, propensity to choose old white men will prevail once again? Yeah, and if you look at what happened in 2004, where the Democrats had a similarly crowded field, it was John Kerry who ultimately emerged out mm. of that, despite there being all the initial enthusiasm for some of the candidates like Howard Dean that there was in that race. So you can you can all never underestimate the inherent sort of small c conservatism of when it comes to particularly primary voters and the order in which the states come out uh, will have a factor in this the california primary is uh, being moved up in the schedule which will potentially give kamala harris a, a big boost but uh, seeing how it plays out is uh, something we've got to look forward to over the next year or more <laughs> yeah. oh well you know nice to have something to uh, look forward to once brexit's sorted in a couple of months time <laughs> finally my pub quiz question this week was uh, prior to theresa may's withdrawal bill what was the biggest tory rebellion in modern political history Doyle, did you do you think you were confident of getting this one right i know it's written on the paper in front of you but <laughs> no i'm going to be honest for the listeners and say no i didn't know what this was actually i thought it was a an interesting question, but it turns out I can read here <laughs> that it was the uh, handgun ban in 1997 following the Dunblane tragedy uh, where 95 Conservative MPs rebelled against uh, John Major. And uh, we should say congratulations to Jim Robbins, who's yeah. got that right. Yeah, Jim sent that in on Twitter. So, Jim, if you um, if you want to drop your uh, uh, address to office at progressonline.org.uk, we'll try and stick a progress mug in the post for you for getting that one right. Uh, We'll be back with a new episode of Progressive Britain on Tuesday before the next big Brexit vote that evening. Uh, So do subscribe now on iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss out. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.